Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast on Radio MD, iHeart, or wherever you download us from. Thank you very much for doing it. This is 1071B. The B's are always the great segments with guests. And this week's guest reminds me of Kathy Eban's book, Bottle of Lies, because this week's guest, Dr. Renee Joy Dufault, D-U-F-A-U-L-T, has written a wonderful book called Unsafe at Any Meal, um, which is really about heavy metals in food and her battle both inside and now outside the FDA to make food safer and what isn't safe about it. The subtitle might be Mercury on the Menu. I think of it as arsenic on the menu um, because I was around when Dr. Oz first uncovered that arsenic was plentiful in American rice. And when the, not only did the FDA and the U.S. Department of Agriculture come out and uh, slam him, but so did some of the commentators, such as Dr. Besser on TV, I believe. And uh, later proved um, when uh, Consumer Union did the work, what they found with American rice and arsenic in many of the rice categories was true. Dr. Renee Defoe has been a leader, quit her job at the FDA because she couldn't get enough traction, formed a nonprofit called foodingredient.info, foodingredient.info, which is a nonprofit that tries to make food safer for all of us, including kids. So let me go in and talk to you a little bit um, about Dr. Uh, Dufault and her book. Um, she, and, and uh, I'm probably, I may be embarrassing her by telling all the good things she's done, um, but I'm going to let her come in and correct it. Um, if you if you will. So uh, she started at, I believe, as a, um, and, and Dr. Dufault, please correct me if I'm uh, wrong on this, um, but she started as the a former food investigator for the Food and Drug Administration, but that wasn't really where she started. Her background started way before that, and she has taken this to a great, um, what I would call a great level. So I'm going to start you, start as a medical laboratory specialist when she joined the U.S. Army in 76. Following her four years of service, she earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Environmental Policy Analysis and Planning at UC Davis, University of California, Davis. She then served as in the Navy for two years. So she had four years in the Army, two years in the A Navy as an industrial hygiene officer, and then she transferred to the Public Health Service 
um, where she served as an environmental health officer 14 years working at NIH, the Environmental Protection Agency, and then the Food and Drug Administration. She left the FDA when she couldn't convince them and I'm going to talk to her a little bit about that because it seems like um, Kathy Eban had the same problem. And you say, what's wrong with the with our FDA? Because they are such a really good organization in some of the areas, such as uh, the drug approval process that I know pretty well and radiologic safety that I know pretty well. But the... Um, Interesting thing is uh, we'll talk to her about her time at the FDA and then her time in, uh, if you will, with foodingredient.info and why she is so passionate about food for children. Dr. Dufault, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate that, uh, Dr. Roizen. It's It's great to be able to provide information to the public on what's going on in our food supply and how it's impacting our child health and learning. So tell me a little bit uh, about what you uncovered at the FDA and then what happened. So in the book, you wrote Unsafe at Any Meal, and this really talks to why you're so passionate about it for children, I think, too. Uh, Well... Uh, I had accidentally uncovered uh, the finding of mercury in high fructose corn syrup while I was working at the FDA, and there's a long story that goes behind that. It wasn't intentional. I didn't intend to uncover that, but uh, I I was doing uh, decommissioning work, uh, decommissioning contaminated laboratories and properties that the FDA owned, and through that uh, uh, work, I, I found that there was mercury in plumbing systems in all the research labs, and so then the question was, how did it get there? And we found that it got there through uh, uh, other organizations uh, that had done work, uh, for example, with all the hospitals up in Massachusetts who were discharging uh, wastewater with mercury in it, that the uh, mercury was actually in chemicals that were being used at the hospital and the laboratories. So, so the mercury and the chemicals were, you know, where did, how did it get in the chemicals? Well, it actually, uh, there are certain chemicals that are made using mercury, and they're called mercury uh, cell chloralkali plants. So the, the chlorine industry operates these plants all over the world, and I think there's still four left in the, the northern um, North America. But anyway... And what do they use? What what do they use to do? In other words, what do they make that they use mercury? Well, they make chlorine. They make sodium hydroxide, sodium hypochlorite, uh, potassium hydroxide. So there's a you know like a product line, and and all of those chemicals are then used. Uh, they have they use them in uh, in manufacturing food products. So at that time, uh, Vulcan Chemical was a mercury cell plant out of I believe. Uh, Ohio or West Virginia, I can't remember, and they had actually released their wastewater report showing exactly how much mercury was being released into the wastewater as well as what was left in, as residue in all of their products because you can't get it out. Uh, there's no way of getting it out of the products. It's, it's part of the process. That they, it ends up in the products. So when I found out 
what products were being made that had mercury residue, then I asked, well, who's the biggest purchaser of these products? And it turned out to be the corn refiners and and, uh, some of the chemical uh, preservatives uh, that are used in foods. So uh, then, of course, I said corn refiners. Well, then I started interviewing some corn refiners and found out that the mercury grade, they call it mercury grade, caustic soda was was the preferred uh, grade because it enhanced product shelf life. So then I sent out an FDA investigator to go grab some samples at different corn refiners, and with it, I had permission. You know, I worked for the FDA commissioner's office, and I had permission. And so we got these samples, and then I sent them to various laboratories inside and outside of the government, and they all found uh, mercury residue in a certain percentage of those samples, almost half. So... That's how, you know, I started investigating because uh, then I had uh, already been doing some work. And mercury doesn't go away easily, does it? No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't go away. It, uh, if you get exposed to uh, inorganic mercury and lots of it over time, over your lifetime, uh, depending on your diet, because you have to be able to metabolize and excrete it. And so if your diet's not very good, if you're eating a, the standard American diet with many processed foods, you're going to have uh, bioaccumulation over time. And so we do know that certain disease conditions are associated with the bioaccumulation of mercury and lead. For example, we just came out with an article, a methodology article, that was published in a uh, NIH uh, PubMed indexed its index at PubMed, where we, uh, over the years, there's been follow-up to the line of research that I started uh, outside of the, the U.S., mostly that most of the clinical trials are done outside of the U.S., and, and we now know that in uh, across the board, doesn't matter where they are, children with autism have elevated levels of mercury in their blood and also elevated levels of lead compared to children that are do not have symptoms of autism. And in the case of children uh, that have ADHD all across the board, all over the world, they have elevated levels of lead in their blood uh, compared to children that don't have that diagnosis. So the bottom line is then, you know, all these kids are, uh, you know, we have these conditions. And in the United States, according to CDC, 16% of all children now are diagnosed with ADHD and 14% of all boys, you know, so that's that's not good. Now, now, while we know that mercury is bad, I mean, there's no doubt about that, but do we know that it's related? In other words, is there any data that would say that mercury is um, causing ADHD or causing autism? It's, it's not good. Mercury I, is not causing ADHD, but it is definitely ideological uh, factor. It is a factor uh, in autism, a root cause, and that's now accepted. And that new methodology article that we just wrote, uh, and from studies that we've done, we've now developed a method to analyze uh, uh, the mercury, inorganic mercury species, and CDC has adopted that method of analysis now. And so uh, there are various levels of measuring uh, that particular mercury species, but the bottom line is we can now do it, and now we can uh, find those levels in children's blood. And, yes, it is now a fact that mercury is a root cause of autism, not just mercury, but lead, mercury and lead, and then children that are on the autism spectrum may have accumulated other heavy metals. It varies. 
So, yes, that is an, uh, a, a, a cause. This we know now. Now, now, is there anything that helps us? One, so this is in, I guess, the one of the leading foods it is, is in processed food, especially processed corn um, and high fructose corn syrup, which is in everything from salad dressings to uh, tomato to ketchup. But um, is there... Um, are there any way of getting, not getting um, exposed to this? In other words, what's the solution? And is there any way of getting it out of the system? How long does it take mercury to get out of your system? Okay. First of all, we have to clarify that, that uh, there are various ways of making corn syrup. With, you know, so you don't have to use the mercury-grade chemicals. You don't, but, but they all, in the process, they, all, they always add mercuric chloride to the cornstarch at the front end. So whether or not there's mercury in corn syrups is, is you know, you don't know. It's a crapshoot. Maybe half the time we don't know. Nobody's doing any sampling analysis. The last person to analyze corn products was Karen Wright out in Canada, and she uh, published those findings. So there's nobody doing the uh, uh, analysis that needs to be done to keep track of how much and when and so forth. So all we know is that it's been found in corn syrup products. So that has to be clarified. That's not the only place. In uh, synthetic food colors, those that are made with petroleum, petroleum is mined from the ground, and so there is yellow 5, 6, red 40. All of these uh, certified food colors have expected levels of heavy metals because of where they come from and what they're made of. They're made of petroleum. And so the FDA has a certification for these food colors that have been on the market since before there was FDA, and they were grandfathered in. They're illegal in Finland. They're banned. And they're, uh, but, but anyway, in other countries. But the bottom line is, so every batch that is made of these food colors has to be go to a third-party lab and get analyzed for mercury, lead, and, and arsenic, because they're, and sometimes uh, uh, chromium, because there's, there's allowable levels. So you can have up to 10 parts per million lead, one part per million mercury, three parts per million uh, arsenic, and that's allowed. So these food colors, which are banned in other countries, are still widely available, used in Fruit Loops and whatever, different uh, foods that children eat. So this is a source of mercury and lead in, in our food supply. And so uh, when you do something about that, you know, warn parents, for example, in the European Union, they have uh, a law that requires warning labels on all, all those food colors. If you're going to put them in food, they have, you, then there's a warning on the package. It says warning may cause inattention and hyperactivity in children. And that's been the law in the European Union and United Kingdom since 2010. So we've already analyzed data and comparable data sets and found that there's a significant, significantly less prevalence of autism and ADHD in Europe and United Kingdom, okay? So, uh, you know, the, the, I'm, we're talking about facts. These are facts. Um, so we have to make changes in, in, if we want to reduce so the prevalence. What, since, those have gone, since those have gone on the label in Europe... Um, has the has the use of these decreased? Do do our patients responding to those labels? Yes. And what's if happened, so, is it, what's happened yeah, is first it. of all, 
when those, that warning label was required, the manufacturers went and changed the ingredients. So they now they use uh, other ingredients, more natural. Uh, they're not petroleum-based. They use other ingredients that don't, that don't have these uh, heavy metal residues. So they sell the same. They don't sell those foods in the U.S. They sell them like, you know, I, I don't know if this applies to Fruit Loops as an example, but if Fruit Loops wanted to be sold in the United Kingdom, to avoid the warning label, they'd have to have changed their ingredients. And there's a food safety article that has indicated that the manufacturers just change the ingredients so to avoid the warning label. So uh, whether or uh, not... Um, you know, they still have the warning label. They have to have the warning label if they're using an, uh, those food ingredients in their recipes. So, yes, I think the warning label had a drastic effect because either uh, the food manufacturers uh, changed the recipe and, and no longer had these food colors or people aren't buying those foods. Uh, you know, they're not feeding them to their kids. So, yes, obviously, if you look at comparable data sets, which we've done, then you see, I mean, there's, uh, I put it in a PowerPoint I sent to you, you know, you see the bars and you can see how much higher autism is in the U.S. versus United Kingdom and ADHD is so much higher in the right, U.S. Right, but what I wanted you to do was say that to our listeners since they didn't get the PowerPoint. Yeah, well, the, the, I can give you some figures because I actually brought that with go me. Go to it. That's what we want. Okay, so um, let me find it. This is a lot of data that we've collected through the years, and, and I'm not smart enough to memorize. You know, <laughs> I've never been good. I have to write everything down. And uh, okay, Well, let me so, just go. Uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to read off from Table 6-1 in this book. And, by the way, you can find out more information um, about this at foodingredient.info, a nonprofit. But it says refined, uh, this is um, common ingredients found in infant formula and potential heavy metal contaminants. Coconut oil high in mercury. Corn syrup or corn syrup solids, mercury. Palm oil, mercury. Soybean oil, mercury. Safflower oil, mercury. Vegetable oil, mercury. Potassium chloride, lead. And beta carotene, lead and arsenic. And I should add to that, uh, a lot of people start their kids on white rice or a um, pudding made of white rice that is ground up rice. Um, those are high in arsenic. So um, breast milk is obviously always better, but you want to, as a mom, um, and, and I don't think you pass much mercury, much heavy metals through breast milk. But in any case, uh, you want to eat healthy as well for the long run as well as for feeding your child. Go ahead. What's the difference? Okay, so the comparable data sets, uh, when we compare UK to USA using uh, uh, comparable data sets, the ADHD prevalence in 2016 in the U.S. was 9.4%, but only 1.4% in the United Kingdom. So then we looked at a separate data set that was comparable, uh, the prevalence of autism in 8-year-old boys from 2004 to 2010. It was 11 out of 1,000 children in the U.S. and then only 4 out of 1,000 children in the U.K. So, you know, there's a significant, uh, and that was since the warning labels. 
And then I might want to add that, you know, when you have, I, yeah, as a public school teacher, which I have done many years of, of doing that, teaching since I left the FDA, uh, I had to supplement my inc- my uh, my uh, pension because I retired early. But anyway, the ADHD prevalence in Norway is 3.8% currently. In Finland, it's uh, 4.4% uh, boys and 1.3% girls. Now that compares to 16% of all children in the U.S. according to CDC and 13% of all boys. Okay. Now Norway and Finland have the highest, highest literacy in the world. And when you're teaching a classroom, uh, in a classroom in the United States and you're dealing with 16% of the kids at ADHD, it's very difficult, you know. Very difficult. So it interrupts. Uh, you know, you have you have definite differences in the in the learning that goes on in our schools. We, we we're lucky if our kids graduate with a seventh grade reading level, and it's much lower in many places. So, and the kids with ADHD, boys often do not even graduate from high school, and and thirty some odd percent of boys or men incarcerated are they have uh, ADHD. So there's some really negative outcomes from having a food supply that, that with allowable heavy metals. And it's not right. It's not right. Well, well, let's, let me, if I can, cut to the chase on, on some of this. Um, what, if, if you're advising us as consumers, what should we avoid, what should we not avoid, and how do we protect ourselves and then the second question is, how do we get society in America to be more protected? So let's do the first one. What do we do for ourselves? Okay. Because in the United States, historically, way before FDA and all of these years since FDA, and the risk assessment processes that are in place, which are, they're wrong. They, they have to change that paradigm. Because they don't, they look, they don't look at cumulative exposures. They don't look at well, in order to pro, uh, excrete and metabolize and excrete pesticides or, or, or heavy metals, you have to have certain uh, micronutrients so that your genes work properly. You know, we're talking gene environment interactions, epigenetics. So, uh, what the going paradigm is that if it doesn't kill you in 24 hours, it's legal. Okay, that's how we do it here in the U.S. So it's legal. If it doesn't kill you in 24 hours. Okay, so what can you avoid? Well, you want to avoid processed foods, period, uh, really, because they, oftentimes you're not getting the nutrients, the micronutrients that you really need to, to operate your genes properly. So you want to have whole foods, and if they're not organic, you want to make sure you, you rinse them good and, and do everything you can to remove any pesticide residues if possible. If you can buy organic, you want to buy organic. So you've got to reduce your pesticide residues because all of this works together. Heavy metal exposures, they suppress your genes that, that need to operate. They, they modulate the genes, and they, they interfere with your, your excretion of the, of the poisons that are in our food. So, so you have to avoid all the poisons if possible. And so the, the, with the regard to the heavy metals, the vegetable oils, the report came out of FEDIOL, which is a European Union trade organization, and they determined the risk of heavy metals in various different uh, vegetable oils. So that doesn't mean every time you buy a vegetable oil there's going to be uh, heavy metals. It means that there is a risk because of the way that they manufacture these products. So you want to buy cold-pressed. Cold-pressed, which means there's no chemicals used. 
to, to extract oil out of the seeds. So you want to buy cold-pressed olive oil. You want to buy coconut oil, cold-pressed uh, sesame seed oil. All right? That will reduce your, your exposure. And, and and what about olive oil? Is it well, in there? Well, you want to buy cold-pressed olive oil. Okay? Cold-pressed everything. Because if it's cold-pressed, it's a mechanical means, and they're not using chemicals to extract. And you're gonna, not going to have that risk of heavy metals. Unless... Wherever the trees are or the, the seeds are grown is contaminated. If it's grown in contaminated soil, well, then you might have, there might be contamination that way. But we don't know how things are grown or where they're grown. So we can only go, go by the food ingredient labels. So, because you can't live in paranoia, but you can, we know, we did clinical trial work. We know that you can reduce your mercury exposure if you. And, and what should we do for as a country? Well, we're talking about a free market economy. What we should do and what we can do are two different things. Like I said, in the United States, you can sell anything to anyone as long as you don't kill them in 24 hours. That's the way of America. America, is this is our system. They, they, it's free, free to sell to anyone. And you've got all kinds of supplements that are unregulated. That realistically, you can So, So just, just but, but. Uh, Renee, give me the, the, is there one regulation we should put in um, that would change America food safety? I think we should have warning labels. At the very least, we need to have warning labels on, on the uh, petroleum-based uh, food ingredients. And when there's an allowable, uh, in the Code of Federal Regulations under Title 21, when there's allowable heavy metal residue, whether it's in the chlorine used to bleach flour, you need to have a warning label, and it says this product may contain heavy metals, period. Well, I will push to help you do that, and hopefully many of our listeners, we have 50,000 people download us weekly, so or more than that, and hopefully some will get it, um, and maybe we can talk to our senators and representatives as well. In the meantime, for you, be careful what you eat. And you've learned to get cold-pressed oils. There is an article out uh, today, which we'll talk about in 1072A on, uh, from the American Heart Association on the benefits of vegetable oils over um, non-vegetable oil used in cooking and in baking. So we'll talk about that next week. In the meantime, we should thank Renee Dufo, D-U-F-A-U-L-T, Unsafe at Any Meal is the name of the book. The website is foodingredient.info. It's not a .com. It's a .info, a nonprofit she formed brilliantly to help do this. Thanks very much for listening. Caitlin, thank you for great engineering. We'll be back next week.